Good morning, beloved Orangewood. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Genesis, we're actually going to sneak back into chapter 39 before we launch into chapter 40 as we continue our series together on the life of Joseph. It's amazing how much ink Moses gives to, uh, to Joseph's life as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. An incredible life that really takes up the majority of the end of the uh, book of Genesis. But when we see his story... My hope and prayer is that we'd see our story. As we see his story, that we wouldn't be challenged to be like Joseph. We would be driven to love Joseph's God. And to be reminded of a God who who does give and at times does take away. But blessed be his name. Because our God is good and our God reigns. And our God loves. And he loves broken people like Joseph. He loves broken people like you and me. And he does his best work in difficult situations oftentimes. It's amazing what God can do in the midst of our brokenness. Well, we've been journeying together looking at this book. And if you haven't been with us as we looked at Joseph, let me give you a quick recap of what we have learned. This is our third week. The first week we learned this, that dysfunction doesn't disqualify Isn't that good news? According to the Bible, a dysfunction doesn't disqualify because Joseph's life and let me tell you, his family talk about dysfunctional. Uh, It's incredible. And this is, by the way, God's chosen family. I mean, this is the ones that will come from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the dysfunction is such that they would sell their own brother into slavery. It's an incredible behavior of this, this family. But we realize that That God's grace and the work of his son is going to be able to redeem all things. So dysfunction doesn't disqualify. The second thing we see is the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. And even in in slavery, even in the darkest situations, that the Lord was with Joseph. There's a direct correlation between Joseph's success. And by the way, this success includes imprisonment and being falsely accused. But Joseph's success is in correlation with the fact that that the Lord was with him, that God is Emmanuel, just like God tells us that he is with us. And again, my hope and prayer through this this sermon series is not that we would hold up Joseph's life and say, let's emulate that. But my hope and prayer is, is that we see Joseph, we see the hand of God. Because you can't read this story without seeing that God has a plan, a good plan. In the midst of all the twists and turns, even in the midst of sin, God is still working. And God's glory is seen. And so as we go through this, the hope and prayer of the pastor is that that we'll worship our God. That we'll see his life and say, man, that's my God. And look what my God does. Because if God has a plan, and, and he does, and we're going to see that clearly. And sometimes Joseph didn't see it. There were twists and turns. I mean, we're going to find him today in prison and forgotten. But if God has a plan, and he tells us he does, and not just for Joseph, but for you and for me. And if God is, if he himself is in the midst, the midst of our chaos, the midst of our, our sin. And if God is with us, and there is a God who loves us. There's hope. Is that not true? And God is with us and he gives us uh, a hope. And not only do we have a God who is with us, but he, we have a God who remembers us. A God who remembers you and he remembers you and me that, that we're frail. 
Hearing remembers us, and he even knows how many hairs are on our head. And for some of you, it's easier to count than others. But he not only remembers us, he remembers his promises to us. And I got to tell you what, God's promises are God-sized. They're not just little promises. The God of the Bible, the God who is, what he promises his folks, what he promises his people, and he remembers them. And because of who he is, and because of what he does, and because he remembers his promise for you, there is hope. Okay. Previously in the life of Joseph, I, I kind of want to use that because if anybody watched 24 or a, a, a series on TV, you'll often hear them say, as they're coming into an episode, previously on the life of Joseph, this is what happened. So let me give you a previously in the life of Joseph, we found Joseph in Egypt working for his master named Potiphar. We saw that Joseph was entrusted all things in Potiphar's household and that God gave Joseph success. But we also saw that Potiphar's wife, who doesn't even have the dignity of her own name in scripture, lusted after Joseph. Joseph, who is this intelligent, strong, uh, masculine one that Potiphar's wife lusted after and continually pursued and asking him to come to bed with her. But Joseph... Joseph, our hero, stands his ground. Joseph says no. Joseph actually is able to say, how could I do this wickedness and sin against God? And God has rewarded Joseph's faithfulness by being falsely accused and in prison. And we find now Joseph right there. Katie and I long for shows that we could watch together. We've gone through different series. We've started different ones. The one that we love right now is about Washington spies. It's called Turn. Have you seen Turn? It's in its third season. We didn't watch the first two seasons. We had to catch up. Thank God for things like Netflix, right? And so we were, we were almost taking a daily dose of this uh, true, like, historic fiction of the Washington spies. It's awesome. You get to see, here are the good guys, and here are the bad guys, and here are the things that turn some of the good guys to bad guys, and turn some of the bad guys to good guys. But in the life of Joseph, it's God who does the turning. It's God who is sovereignly ruling and reigning. And evil, even the things that were evil planned for Joseph, God turns for his glory. Here's a point for you. No matter where you are, wherever you find yourself, there's a God who is turning the pages. And this is a mighty God who has the ability to turn things for your good and for his glory. Through this series, I've asked others to, uh, to uh, read for us. This morning, I've asked Sarah Jane Creech to come. We're going to start in chapter 39, verse 21, and pick up where we left off last week and read through 40. Thank you, Sarah Jane. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. 
The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph, and he said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossom shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that his interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uttermost basket there were all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said this, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker amongst his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome, sweet Jane. Thank you. Stinks being the baker, huh? (laughs) Joseph, too. Let's pray together. Father God, we ask you to do that which you promised to do. Remember us. Remember your people this morning in a way that you will remain with us. Come and be with us because you are Emmanuel. Be with us in a special and powerful way through the preaching of your word. Be pleased to use a broken sinner like me to proclaim good news that we find in Christ Jesus. And God, remind us, remind us of who you are. Remind us of what you've promised Remind us of your faithfulness because we need desperately to know that reality. God, would you give us ears to hear your voice and would you give us minds to understand your word and who you are and and what you have promised to us? And God, would you give us hearts of faith and hearts of love? Would you fill our hearts with your word and your very presence and your Holy Spirit? 
And God, would you empower our feet, every single one of us, so that each of us is able to walk out of here in a manner that is worthy of your name, knowing that as we walk, we walk with you. And you will never leave us nor forsake us. What a great God you are. Father God, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and, and contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you, would you use those very things to mold us and to make us more like your son, our savior, Jesus. And it's in his holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along with me, I have a uh, outline for you in your bulletin. And the first thing we're going to see is this, is that God remains with his people through suffering. Did you hear that? God remains with his people through suffering. And we see this in the life of Joseph. Although we are unable yet to do the math we find out that Joseph is going to be imprisoned or, or enslaved for 13 whole years. The whole story of Joseph begins with these crazy dreams when he's 17 years old. And he's really not going to see a whole lot of light until he's 30 years old. And so in those 17 years, he is going to go through the darkness and literally in and out of the pits of life. Can you relate to that? Is anyone here who has said, I've journeyed through the darkness, I've, I've journeyed through pain, it's, it's been a long time? Is anybody here who says it's suffering? I mean, we know about suffering. If, it, if suffering lasts for a day, it's too long, or, or for a week, or for a year, or for 13. For some of you who say it's been even more. And the beauty of Joseph's story is this, this reminder that, that God remains with his people through their suffering. Our God is Emmanuel. Our God is a God with us. And we, we celebrate Emmanuel mostly at Christmas time, right? When we reality that God has come uh, to us. He's wrapped himself in flesh. We have God and man together in Jesus. Emmanuel, a God with us. But the God of the Bible wants to tell us over and over and over again, he longs to be with us. And he, he longs to continue to journey with his people. God will forever remain with us. It's good news. But we also have to realize this. God doesn't always rescue us out of our suffering. God doesn't. God does not always rescue us out of our suffering, but he always will remain with us through our suffering. And sometimes there's, there, there's preachers uh, in pulpits that will want to say to you that, that suffering isn't right. And if you're suffering, well, you're not believing enough. And if you're suffering, well, you're not giving enough. And that if you just did the right thing, that God's ready and able to, to, to lift you out of that suffering. But I got to tell you the truth of the God of the Bible is this. God will forever remain with us in our suffering. But he doesn't always remove us. From our suffering. The cancer that we pray for to go in remission sometimes doesn't. And sometimes we've even lost loved ones to a battle. We say, God, God, please remove this. And He's been pleased not to. The marriages that we beg God to restore, the, the marriages, God, do your mighty work, restore this marriage. There's times that they've ended in divorce. 
the prodigal children that we've wept over, the prodigal children that we've, we've just said, God, please, will they come home, specifically home to you? Sometimes they don't. And the financial holes that we find ourselves in, and maybe not even by our own doing, is the reality of, of, of life sometimes remain. God doesn't always rescue us from our suffering. You need to know that. That God will forever remain with us through our suffering. God remains. He never leaves the building. And if we are his, if we are his by his grace and the work of Christ, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he's never going to leave us. He will never forsake us. He will never turn from us. Amazingly, because of the work of Christ on the cross, because he would absorb God's wrath for our sin and brokenness and be able to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God has forsaken his only son on the cross so that he will never forsake us, so that he will never leave us. Nothing. He will always remain with us. What do we know about God always remaining in the suffering of his people? Well, it's God's presence, right? God's presence remains with us. I think of Psalm 139. I don't know if you know that Psalm. It's an incredible Psalm of God. It asks the question and then answers the question. Where can I go from God's spirit? Where, where can I flee from God's presence? And it says, if I, if I ascend to the heights, you are there. And if I go to the depths, even Sheol itself, you are there. If I go to the east or to the west, you are there. Even the darkness can't hide you. Nowhere can I go to ever flee the presence of God. God is Emmanuel. God is forever and will forever be with us. And Psalm 139 says, he goes before us. And Psalm 139 says, he goes with us. And Psalm 139 even says he hems us in from behind. This is a pretty cool package that God promises for us. That he will forever remain with us. So what does this mean? If he won't always rescue us from our suffering, but he will always remain with us. What does this mean? It means that God personally in our journey, that God personally, that that he is our peace, not our circumstances. That, that the God who journeys with us, he is our hope. That, that he is our life. He is our identity. He is our strength. He is our future. What's your future look like? I mean, none of us could look into that. But for many of you, you're probably thinking, I'm so afraid. I don't know. Things are tottering and teetering all over my life. If you are his, God is with you. Your future is your God. And you're in good hands. He will never leave you, nor forsake you. God's presence remains with us. Not only that, God's love remains with us. Paul asked the question in Romans chapter eight, Romans eight, one of those, I think we should read Romans eight every day of our life. It's just one of those incredible reminder passages of God. But Paul asked the question, who or what can separate us from the love of Christ, right? Who or what? And he says this, I'm convinced that, that neither demons of this world or devils or, or any circumstances or heights or depths, nothing. There's nothing in this world that will ever be able to separate us from the love of Christ. Now, let, let, me, let me make that practical to you. Not even your own sin, not even your own depravity, not even the, the decisions you make that are just, just wrong and the things that you've done living your life as if God didn't even exist. 
If you are his, if, if you have come to Christ, nothing, I mean nothing, and this means nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. He doesn't always rescue you from your suffering, but he'll always be with you. His presence will be there and his love will be there. And there's times that you're going to see that love clearly. And there's times that you're not. And I know that you've probably already gone through circumstances in your life saying, God, where are you? God, how long? Even the psalmist says in Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, how long? Were you going to forget me forever? How long? There's times we're going to feel in our lives that, Josh, do you love me? If you really love me, can you let this happen to me? He says, I'm going to remain with you. I'll be faithful. I think the, the time, the chapter in our life where, where this was most important, the most challenged was in 2009 when Katie goes through cancer. And we're just dealing with that. And so many times crying out and say, how long, oh Lord, how long are the pain? How long will we go through this? And there's also times in those struggles. Is it not true in the suffering where he is so clear and so beautiful? Is there not times in your life you say, there's a peace that passes understanding? I may have nothing to explain other than the fact that, oh my goodness, God is with me in this moment. I can't even put words around it. I, I remember one moment in that when Katie was about to have a surgery, uh, cancer surgery the next day, we, we had dinner together as a family. Somebody in the generosity of their heart flew our daughter back from college. We were all there. And I'm telling you, it was, it was a moment in my life where I felt the presence of God unlike any other. I mean, I really thought there'd be times I'd look and I'd see Jesus sitting there. I mean, it was just overwhelming. Have you ever had those? I hate the situations you have to get into those sometimes, but that, those are unbelievable, aren't they? I mean, just to know the presence of God sometimes, it just, it gives you a peace. It just doesn't make sense. It passes understanding. It gives you a hope that doesn't make sense. And we still had surgery the next day and we still had a battle through cancer. But the reality is, is God's going to say to us, I will remain with you forever. No matter how the story turns out, no matter the twists and turns, I'm going to remain with you. And my presence will be there and my love will be there. Your circumstances will not define me. I will define your circumstances. Do you walk by faith that way? Do you let your circumstances define your God? Do you look at what's happening and you, do you, is your love meter for God or his love meter for you really shaped in what comes in and out of your life? Or is it out of what he tells us in his promises that he's Emmanuel, a God with us? God had only one son who was sinless. His name was Jesus. God had only one son who was sinless, but he had no sons that didn't suffer. Every son, every daughter, every follower of Christ, every single one of us suffers this is the way home. This is the way it was, it was the way for Christ. It's going to be the way for us. But with through suffering, as we look to Jesus, it's amazing. It's through his suffering that we are healed. Every religion has a problem with suffering and pain. Every religion tries to figure out how can God be in control and good and still allow us to suffer. But there's only Christianity that has a God who enters into suffering. And the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born, told us of a suffering servant. Jesus, a suffering servant. That's his title that would come for you and me. And this Jesus would suffer. Why? Because of our suffering and sinfulness. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was broken because of our iniquities. The wrath of God was placed on him. And because he was broken and suffered, we can be healed. And then the, the writer of Hebrews tells us incredible mystery about Jesus. It says, Jesus, who is this spotless lamb of God, Jesus, who is this sinless one, that he, 
he learned obedience through suffering. That somehow through being tempted like us and somehow suffering, that, that he was perfected. That he became the perfect high priest, the perfect sacrifice through what he suffered. How does Jesus get perfect? How does he learn anything? Well, he learned our condition. He learned our, our suffering. And because of that, he sympathizes with us. He sympathizes with us. He relates with us. So whatever you're going through, whatever brokenness in your life, you have a savior who knows and cares and understands. And this is the one who's offered him, himself for a sacrifice. And he continues to offer a sacrifice for you. What is that sacrifice now? It's prayer. It's, it's a sacrifice of intercession. He, he lives to intercede for us because he knows our weakness. He knows our condition. He knows our suffering. And yet our God intercedes for us because he'll remain with us forever. He can sympathize with us. And then Paul will tell us in Philippians 3.10 that there's a, there's a fellowship with Christ through suffering. That somehow with going through this world as a Christian and suffering from the things out there and the things in here, we find fellowship with Christ. God says that we are to suffer as Christ suffered as an example for us. Suffering is never superfluous. But remember, God had one sinless son, but he didn't have one son or daughter who didn't suffer. He may not lift you out of it, but he'll always remain with you through it. The second thing is this, is God remembers his people and his promises. The story of Joseph, I mean, Joseph is in prison and he shouldn't have been there. And I love the fact that he's not throwing under the bus his brothers that sold him. He's not even throwing under the bus Potiphar's wife. He's like, he's like, listen, I'm, I'm here unjustly. And he, he helps. I love the fact that he even shows kindness to the, to the cupbearer and the baker. Hey, why are you guys sad? I mean, he had enough of God in his life to notice those around him. And he says, well, don't dreams, uh, interpretations belong to God. But listen, man, I'm God's man. Why don't you tell me? Let's see what God does. And when he tells him this dream and the cupbearer is going to be restored, he pleads with him. He says, don't, don't forget my kindness. Show kindness to me. Remember me. And how's it end? He's forgotten. If we read verse one in the next chapter, you can realize for two whole years, he's forgotten. But God doesn't forget. God remembers. The beauty of this is that God remembers his people. I think one of the key verses in this is 3921. The reason I wanted to start with 3921 is because it says this, but the Lord was with Joseph. We saw that Emmanuel and he showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. And this word steadfast love, it's such a weighty dripping word. It's the Hebrew word of hesed. It's basically saying that God is showing this covenant loyalty, this love that will never let him go. Because why? Because Joseph is his. And, and, and Joseph's God is his God. It's this wonderful covenant language that God will remember his people. Why? Because God himself binds himself to his people. He's never going to let them go. He swears on his own name and he, and he covers us with his own son's blood saying, those are my people. I paid for them. I made them. They're mine. I will forever be with them. The psalmist so loved this reality of this hesed, this, this, uh, forever lo- loving God that loves us and is merciful for us, that he wants to tell us a psalm, psalm in Psalm 118. 
He says something that happens to God's people. And he says, and his love endures forever. And he says something else to God's people. He says, and his love endures forever. 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 For those of you who think that some of the hymns have lost their weight and all we do is sing a chorus over and over again seven times, read Psalm 118 because it wants us to know that God's covenant faithfulness endures forever. He remembers his people. Listen to Exodus 2.24. This is the people that are hearing Joseph's story. This is their story. And God heard their groaning in Egypt and he remembered He remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac, with Jacob. God remembers his people. He even remembers a thief on the cross. Remember me, Jesus, when you enter into your glory. God remembers us and he binds himself to us. But he does more than just remember his people. He remembers his promises. Not our promises to him. He remembers his promises To us. He remembers this covenant relationship with us. Let me read again Exodus. Exodus 6, 5 says this. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians held as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant and all I've promised them. This is interesting language to us. Most of us don't understand what does it mean when God says he remembers his covenant his promises. Will you give me just a moment to explain this? Because I promise you, if you can get this, this is like fantastically, wonderfully cool. And here it is. God's promises to his people have always come through a covenant relationship where he declares that he is God and he's asked us to be his people. And it's very interesting is when we hear of God's covenant promises and we start to study them, we realize that God's people were hearing these promises and it was very similar to ancient Near Eastern treaties. And basically the way that kings would deal with their people had the same exact language. And it usually starts with a proclamation like, I am the Lord, your God. And then it tells you some historical prologue, like I am the one who took you out of Egypt and brought you into this land. And then it will have stipulations. If you do this, you do these stipulations, it'll come with blessings and curses. And so this language of a covenant is exactly what God used. It's very similar. It's like if God wrote a contract today for his church and for his people, it would use a very similar language and legalese that we use today. But the beauty is this, is this, is that in God's covenant with his people, he says, I'm your God, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to give you all of these huge promises. And if you do the right thing, and if you live the right way, you are going to get these blessings. And if you don't, oh my, there's curses that come. Now you want to say, well, wait a minute, this doesn't sound right. I thought this was a grace-based thing. I thought, you're telling me I got to earn this? You got to tell me that there's a works righteousness? No. But let me tell you what happens. God is the one who initiates with us. He's always the one who does that. But God is the one who makes covenant with us. But God is the one who not only establishes the stipulations. You ready for this? God is the one who keeps covenant for us. All the conditions that God says, if you do this, I will do that. We fail to do, but God so loves sinners like us that he sent his only begotten son to not only be the one who makes covenant with us, you ready for this? He's the one who keeps covenant for us. That perfect lamb of God, every act of obedience, everything he did fulfilling his father's law. 
And now we know every single promise that God ever uttered to his people are yes in Christ Jesus. God remembers his people. God remembers his promises because God himself fulfills them. What an incredible God. Now, come on. That's incredible. I mean, come on. There's grace right there, right? I mean, come on. Don't let that pass by you. This is is an incredible God who not only says, here are the rules, I'm going to fulfill them. Here are the requirements, I'm going to do them. And by the way, he not only fulfills it, you ready for this? He becomes the curse for us breaking it. The whole thing about the cross, cursed is anyone who hangs on the, on, the, on the cross or on the tree, is basically saying, not only has Jesus come to fulfill the requirements, to give us the blessings, right for this, he dies the death on the cross to absorb the wrath of God and the curses of God so that all we get is blessings. That is what the cross of Christ is all about. A God who is with us, a God who promised to remain with us, and a God who will bless us. And he blesses us in Christ Jesus because he's made the covenant and he kept the covenant for us. He remembers the promises, the promise to forever deliver us. And lastly, God redeems his people and their pain. He redeems our story. I got to tell you, this passage clearly shows that God is with us. He remains with Joseph. It clearly remembers that he's going to remember his promises. But I almost didn't put this last point in that God redeems his people's pain because we don't see that yet. At the end of 40, he's forgotten in prison. It's still dark. But I'm the kind of pastor that just can't leave you on the cliff, you know? It's kind of like something like, oh, tell him, you know, you're dangling out there. I'm going to say, but let me tell you, by the way, God's going to redeem the story. It's going to be absolutely beautiful. And there's still going to have to be repentance and reconciliation for the story to be redeemed, but it's coming. And I got to tell you this, that God redeems your story too. He redeems your story in your life. And that's the hope of the Bible. There's a day coming with no more tears. It may not be today and it may not even be tomorrow. And I don't even know it's going to be in your lifetime. I hope it is. But that this day is coming because he promised it to be true and his promises are faithful. The day's coming where you will not even have the ability to sin anymore. The day is coming that you, you will have no more tears, that you will be filled with, with joy. The day is coming that you and I will see Jesus and we will be like him and we'll be glorified as he is glorified. A day is coming that joy is coming. The day is coming at Romans 8, 28 is true. It is true that for those of you who love the Lord and have been called according to his purpose, that all things will work together for good. It's true. It's true that all things do work together for good for those who have loved God and been called according to his purpose. I don't know what that good looks like for you. He might have to redefine what good is. To me, good is going to be bringing him glory and becoming more like him. But God redeems his people's pain. I love Joseph. At the end of the story, we're going to see him look eye to eye with his brothers who sold him into slavery and wished that he was dead. And after they had repented and they realized what they'd done, he says, don't fear. You meant it for evil. But God himself meant it for good. Your pain isn't pointless. Your suffering isn't superfluous. God will forever be with you. He remains with you. His promises will be faithful. And he will redeem your story.
that is our hope. And that is our calling to now live our lives believing that to be true. Let us pray. Father, in our flesh, we ask that you just rescue us from our suffering. We know you could do it. But God, you give us something greater than a rescue. You give us yourself who enters into every sorrowful, suffering situation as Emmanuel. God, you will never ask us to do that which you yourself wouldn't do. Jesus, you've suffered. You suffered and died so that we could be healed. And God, what a great God you are that that you not only made the promises to be with us, but you fulfilled the requirements of the promise as our covenant keeper and our covenant maker. And God, may we rest on that. And may we know that you are going to one day redeem all of our stories. A day is coming. God, I want that day to come sooner. And God, I know that there's many here that just are languishing in sadness and sorrow and brokenness. I thank you that you're there. Shine, Jesus, shine. And I thank you that you'll never let them go. And God, give us the grace and the faith to believe that you're working even in the midst of the tears. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.